We're back, episode 19 of Built for Better. Today I've got Troy Savage on. Again, like Ray in the previous episode, we met at the Real Movement Camp in Brisbane. And what Troy's gone on to do with himself has been nothing short of amazing. His mobility's improved dramatically. He's got a chest to floor pancake. He's also two-minute handstand and five-ball juggle. And going from not coaching at all to coaching some elite sports people. Uh, Before we get into it, let's roll the intro. I'm sick of us not doing this right. That's why I think I'm cutting you from my life. No more. I'm sick of us not doing this right. That's why I think I'm cutting you from my life. No more wasted energy spinning a pace for every hour of waste. I need an escape to center me. And I don't mean to make a rush for the door, but time's a currency. I'm currently poor. I'll be leaving it soon. I don't mean to be rude, but this scene ain't for me. Like your mom's seeing your nudes. Thanks for jumping on, mate. How's your day? Yeah, good, good. Just finished up some training, so. Yeah, done some park training today with a mate, so it's been good. Yeah, sleds and stuff or? Yeah, done sleds, done some Nordics and sort of the Cedar Good Morning stuff and done handstands this morning. So really just trying to be, yeah, very productive in the morning, you know, so my day's starting good, yeah. Yeah. Um, We'll touch on morning routines and stuff in a while, but we first met at Real Movement Camp Brisbane at Ezra's. I just did a podcast with Ray yesterday and we are talking about what an experience it was. Yeah, that Brizzy one a couple of years ago, but yeah, it was probably yeah where we first met and sort of when we were both starting out coaching, I think. Three years ago. Yeah, 2017, so probably at the start of 2017. And yeah, when, oh, I don't know, did you have any coaching experience? I, I just asked Sandra Ray, I've just, um, I'd done one month of coaching. I just started the gym <laughs> and here I am in a building with like Benny Murphy, Timmy Frey. Yeah. Um, like Ezra and all them boys are just like top of the game. Jay from P360. Yeah, that's that's how I felt. I was like, oh, I've like, I was all right physically, but like the coaching wise, I had no idea. Like I was standing back in some of the drills. I was just like letting them take it. You know what I mean? I was like, ah, oh, these guys are, well, like been doing it for years. Whereas us, we're just like real beginners. What about that though? Fast forward your coaching journey by, you know, 12 months by jumping in the room with them boys for four days and. Yeah, 100%. It's just that whole community and like, I don't know, I guess a bit of osmosis where you're just, you know, you're around those good people and they just bring you up to their standards or like we, we just want to, once you see it like in real life, you feel like, you know, you know, you want to chase it. Like same with our clients now, you know, they see you training, they want to get up to your standards and that's probably one of the main things that I got from that Brisbane was like, uh, these guys are pretty far ahead from where I am now, but I love to get to that to that level. Yeah, you sure have done the work since then too. Like, I love watching you progress on uh, socials. So. Yeah, no, nah, it's been a journey. As um, yeah, I went all in with the training and that style of training. I've sort of yeah done that sort of holistic or the skill work, the mobility, the strength, trying to tie it in all together and. Um, yeah, it's been a bit of a journey, ups and downs along the way and just like figuring out what works and what doesn't. Um, but, yeah, it's been like, yeah, I'm pretty happy with sort of where I am at the moment. And then, yeah, it's just sort of continuing from there now. Yeah, let's um, let's jump back. Let's rewind from the start so the listeners get a bit of a guess to who you are, where you come from. We yep. at school. Yeah, so I grew up in New Zealand. Um, so... Yeah, loved my rugby, rugby league as a, as a child. Um, went through all that, sort of played age, age group rep rugby. Uh, went to a rugby school, so we're in Napier in New Zealand. And um, it's quite a 
it's not a major city, but it's just a small, small city in New Zealand. And um, yeah, so eventually came over through to Sydney on like a contract with the Roosters, um, a junior contract. And um, yeah, that's sort of where my footy rugby league journey started anyway. And um, I started at the Roosters, went around to a few clubs, yeah, big background in rugby league. So that's sort of where I sort of kicked off all the coaching stuff as well. So I had that little background. Um, Yeah, but sort of a bit of a journeyman on the footy thing. I was trying to play NRL and I didn't quite make it. So that sort of, you know, left me with a bit of a chip on the shoulder. So that's sort of how my sort of coaching journey started out as well. I just wanted to figure out what, what I could have done physically to make it in the NRL. So, yeah, that's a little bit little bit about me. Yeah, and like from what I gather, most kids growing up in New Zealand, all they want to do is play rugby and be an all-black. Like what led you down the rugby league path more than the rugby union path? Yeah, that was a, that was a funny story. So I went to a rugby uh, union school, so 15 aside. And, yeah, that, that was the dream. And then sort of my last school game and first 15 footy, I played um, a senior rugby league game that day after our last footy game. And, um, yeah, I sort of started playing league at the end of the year. And then I went to a tournament and um, it was senior level. I was only like 17 or 18 back then. And uh, there was a travelling Zeal- uh, Australian side came to New Zealand and Arthur Beetson happened to be on board and he was the Roosters uh, junior development selector or whatnot. And, um, yeah, so he saw me play and then, yeah, I got offered a contract to come over and then, yeah, it was like, it was so left field at that time. I didn't think like anything like that would happen, but I just had to, yeah, take that opportunity. Yeah. And when you come over, did your family come with you or you come on your own? Uh, I had an older brother. He was contracted with the Roosters as well that year. Um, he was six years old. He's six years older than me, and yeah, that's sort of how it sort of developed as well. Um, uh, they were looking at him as well, and then I sort of popped up out of nowhere. And so yeah, they brought us both over at the same time. So I had him here for the first year, but then he came back to New Zealand, and I've just stayed in Australia ever since. Yeah, and when you come over, were you playing Harold Matz or? What was I? I went straight into Jersey flag, which is sort of under twenties. Yeah. Um, so, but I went straight into the uh, NRL full time squad. So, I talk about going into the Roosters changing room. I went to the left, and there was uh, Luke Rickardson, Adrian Morley, Jason Kalis, Craig Wing, Anthony Anthony Minicello, uh Michael Crocker. Like it was the year after they just lost the finals to the Bulldogs. And then even on the other side of the changing rooms was the reserve grade side, which had Sia Soliola, Sam Perrett, um, Shane Shackleton. So, you know, and a whole nother development. And I was sort of, you know, in awe of all these players just walking in. And, yeah, I sort of got to train with them, which was um, yeah, a great opportunity at the time. And I was sort of 18 and, you know, hadn't, hadn't been in a big city like Sydney before. We're in Bondi and I think in the city in Alexandria where we were living. So it was, yeah, a big change from sort of where I came back from uh, New Zealand. And were Matt and Baden Hall at the Roosters when you were there? Yeah, when they were a few years younger than me, I think, maybe two years. I think they they were, they were went from SG Ball to Jersey Flag, I think, in that time. So we got the train and I think they had a few games in Jersey Flag or under-20s or what's it sort of called now, yeah, back then. 
Yeah, so they have condo local boys. Yeah. Yeah, Matt's, yeah, Matt's moved back to condo now and Baden's still living in Sydney, so. Yeah. And where did yeah, your journey go from the Roosters? So from the Roosters, I spent about three or four years there and then I sort of, so that's when the sort of Toyota Cup came into play and I sort of was too old for that. So I had to go play reserve grades. So I went up to Burley Bears um, after my time at the Roosters and sort of I was playing Newtown Jets was sort of the affiliate side. Um, and then I broke my leg in that, that Queensland Cup sort of round three or four. I had to go back to New Zealand and rehab and all that stuff. Um, then played a few different years. I went back to Newtown, went to, I think, Wentworthville and then Parramatta in 2012 was sort of my last sort of Australian footy side. Yeah. And what held you back from making the big time, do you think? Injuries? Um, yeah, I had a few injuries on the way. Um, but sort of throughout what I thought, like only I was pretty close to making in or out certain times of my career and some, you know, it's sort of the window of opportunity you have at the time. Um, but it's a funny game because your sort of future's um, dictated by others, you know, selectors, coaches and whatnot. So even though I thought I was good enough to play, like I probably could have done a few different things um, in regards to training, uh, being just um, a bit more consistent in what I'd done. Um, I didn't have the love for training that I do now and sort of didn't understand it. And, yeah, definitely um, I had a, I figured out a few things that I could have done with my training, you know, over the last couple of years through just figuring out with coaching. Wouldn't it be amazing to know now, like, know now, back then? Yeah, I know, like, it's, um, yeah, training's come a long way since, you know, when I first started, came over in, at 18 years old, we had Ronnie Palmer as our coach, at the, uh, our, as our trainer, SNC coach, at, you know, and just the different um, training techniques back then compared to, you know, what they do now, very science-based and strength and conditioning-wise. So, yeah, a lot different. Um, yeah, but, like, it's all a journey and, like, I wouldn't take it back, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it sort of put me on this path that I'm on now, so I'm yeah, very grateful for where I am now. Yeah, and after the camp at Brisbane, like that was when you really decided that you wanted to, you know, pursue a coach, like career in coaching. Yeah, so I was sort of um, tinkering with the idea. Um, I went after sort of footy finished in Australia. I went over to France and played two seasons over there. And the other sort of reason I got into coaching and sort of trying to figure out um, best methods of training was I had a real sore like lower back and I was real tight. And um, yeah, I just was sort of always waking up in pain and um, yeah, I had a few hamstring issues. So there was something going on and I just wanted to figure out. So this sort of how I got into mobility as well. And then as I was coming back from France, um, sort of through social media and that linked up with um, Keegan and just seen sort of some of his sort of training style that he was doing online and I sort of, you know, I took to it pretty pretty quickly and just sort of seen the benefits of having that sort of holistic approach to um, footy and even to normal training, like, you know, the benefits of that. Yeah. And what was life in France like? Yeah, it was good. We um, were in a city called Carcassonne, um, quite a small town, and um, we had about six or seven foreigners um, from Australia and New Zealand. And so we, yeah, we're, we're real tight. I still speak to a lot of the guys now. 
and yeah, we sort of lived with each other or just around the corner from each other. So we got into the culture, um, learning a bit of the language. Um, yeah, such a beautiful place where we lived. Um, there was a big castle, um, medieval castle there. And yeah, we just played in the south of France. It got heaps cold. It, was, it used to snow at training sometimes. So yeah, it was a lot different a style of play. But um, yeah, loved it and loved all the traveling that went with it as well. Yeah. And um, where was I going there? Were you making enough cash like that you didn't have to work over there or you had to work as well as playing footy? Nah, well, the language barrier probably wouldn't have allowed us to work anyway, but um, no, nah, they were paying us enough over there. We sort of had an apartment. They set us up with an apartment and a car. Um, had to learn how to drive on the other side of the road and sort of, sort of all those little things, um, you know, like just going to the grocery, going to do your groceries was different because you couldn't speak the language and just all those little things that um, you sort of take for granted over here. Um, having that language barrier sort of made it a bit more difficult, but sort of you appreciate um, sort of the different cultural things as well. And, um, yeah, but we're lucky we're sort of all just, yeah, full-time footy over there and we'll train in the morning together and then we'd also do our team training at night and then we'll just hang out and, depending on what the weather was like. Sometimes it got real cold, so we'll probably stay indoors during the winter months. And then, yeah, no, but it was, yeah, great times. What was the quality of footy like? Um, it was probably between, say, just below um, the reserve grade over here, say some of the good teams, and then, yeah, some of the um, the worst teams were probably like at an A-grade a level. And, pretty um, good then. Yeah, so... Yeah, each uh, team had a a couple of foreigners from Australia or New Zealand or England, and that sort of boosted the um, quality of footies for some of the teams. So it's, it was sort of some the teams with the most sort of foreigners were quite better, and then the ones with less were not as good. Just because the development of rugby league over in France, they're very passionate people, uh, very passionate about their sport and rugby league. So, but I think they'll develop, like you sort of see Catalans that they just need a little bit of help from the um, foreign players just to boost them up a little bit. Yeah. And moving back, what was your three sort of, so what was your three takeaways from like that real movement camp once you, once you got back? Oh, yeah. Um, probably just like thinking bigger. Um, I think you probably, yeah, bought into that too, like. Like just not um, setting self-limiting beliefs on yourself um, was one definitely. Um, yeah, we're around all those gym owners and at that time my goal was to have a gym and, um, yeah, just thinking real big, like having real big goals and then just chasing them down. That was one definite one. Um, the physical standards, um, having a very high physical standard for yourself, um, always, yeah, always trying to tick the boxes in your training. And sort of, yeah, sort of being the, I don't know, I think they're calling it, the, the leader is the limiter sort of thing. So if you want to be a real good leader, you know, be of a high standard. Say if it's in a gym environment, you know, make sure you're you're in good shape too and you're providing a lot of value. Um, one more thing, it's probably just the community that we, we were heaps tight, you know, like by the end of those four days, like we're like brothers, like, you know, we've done some pretty deep like mental things and like, you know, for like a bunch of guys that hadn't met before, I found having that connection that we sort of made in only four days, like we all speak together, we all speak about it and we all, you know, we're still mates to, to this day and we've only probably seen each other for like 
maybe less than 10, 10 days in our lives. Yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy camp. And what was your steps from that camp to getting into coaching? How long after? Um, so I was doing a bit of like roadworks traffic control at the time. It took me about... Night work, weren't you? Yeah, night work. It st- still took me two three, two, two, three years to get out of that into full-time coaching. Um, so, so I took it part-time. I started up at a park to begin with, um, which was good, and sort of moved into some athletes and whatnot and sort of went all over the shop. And I was sort of still um, fearful of jumping all in, if you know what I mean. I sort of had that, and then eventually I just went down. Time, time up, you know, it's taking too long. I just need to make that leap. So probably about 12 months ago, sort of went full-time coaching. And, yeah, yeah. sort of maybe I could have done it way back earlier, but I think I've you know, I learned a lot of lessons on the way, um, developing myself, like mentally, physically and all that as well. Yeah. And what sort of lights you up about coaching people? Um, I just like taking someone from where they're at and just – showing them that they can actually achieve, uh, say, a movement or lift a certain weight, you know, and just seeing that joy in their face when, you know, they actually achieve it and sort of they've done the hard work to get there. Um, I like that process of going from A to B to C to D to eventually figure out that goal or tick that goal off for them. So different movements or whatever can be some mobility thing, strength thing, um, just turning up the training weight loss, any of those sort of things I like, you know, just people achieving their goals. Yeah. And from that camp in Brizzy, like your training stepped up, like you were super strong then, like obviously quite a big boy too. Like I remember we did the French powerlifting, like the squat, the dead and the bench all in, is it in one minute? Yeah, one and minute. I think you pulled what on the dead, like 230 or something like that? Yeah, something like that too because I was doing a, like a powerlifting phase before that. Yeah, and um, that's sort of what I sort of took to after footy as well. Just, just wanted to get stronger. Um, I still felt it was all right, but I still felt I was still missing a few different parts to the puzzle. And so, yeah, that's when I got into the real movement, and then got into all the mobility stuff, and went, yeah, went hardcore at the mobility and handstands and yeah, all that stuff. Because yeah, just seeing the other guys in front of me, just a bit of a competitive thing. I just went, oh, let's yeah. go. You know, anyone try and jump ahead who, of these guys. Yeah, anyone who can handstand for two minutes. You've got a two-minute handstand, yeah? yeah? Yeah. Get their chest to the floor in a pancake, um, fireball juggle. Um, just shows discipline, really. Yeah, 100%. Those, like, you can't get there, you know, taking a supplement or anything, which is um, a good thing. And, yeah, you have to put in the work those those um, types of movements don't come without being consistent and having that discipline and training, which, you know, it sort of makes you, makes you feel good and sort of, you know, it relates to other areas in your life, you know what I mean, where, where you're not being consistent. Maybe it's a diet thing or at work or at, even at home, you know what I mean? If you put in discipline in, er- in any area, not just exercise, you're going you're gonna to get the results no matter what. Um, it's a big part of what I try and tell people like the some people are like always looking for tips and tricks all the time and what's it going to take, you know, but I always ask them like how, how much like volume or how much times are you actually putting into that to get the desired result. There's sort of, I find every exercise has a um, sort of consistency and discipline to it that you need to be able to um, um, train every day for a pancake or, you know, every second day or just 
keep on that consistency role, you know what I mean? So people are too up and down. They want it in four weeks or they want it in like even less than that sort of thing. But some of these movements, you know, they re- require that discipline and consistency. Yeah, it applies too with like nutrition and weight loss and all of that for general pop. Like seeing that you've been through it, you'd be able to relate to someone that, um, you know, is wanting to lose weight but struggling with the journey. Yeah, Hundred percent, like, yeah, it takes time. Like, people are in a rush too much, and maybe it's the marketing out there that sort of, you know, promises too big and delivers too small as well. And yeah, I think just it relates to anywhere. If you're disciplined or consistent in any of your goals in life, you're going to get there no matter what. You know what I mean? It might go up and down, but if you're consistent, like, hundred percent, you're going to get there. Yeah. What's a typical week's training look like for you? How many sessions a week? Um, so I try and train twice a day. Um, that's sort of what I, and then however that works out. Um, so I try and do a handstand session or mix my handstand and mobility together. And then I try and do a weight session. So I try and keep that. Um, I spoke about sort of in the weekend through that real movement intensive of trying to do two a day and that equals say you do 50 weeks, you know, it um, adds up to like 500 sessions in a year. So you can imagine someone doing 500 sessions how much um, progress they'd make in one year yeah compared and to someone's only doing three to five or whatever you know what I mean yeah how long's a typical session uh I say 45 to an hour I like to keep it yeah I find once I go over an hour the mind starts wandering and I'm just yeah I'm not getting um quality I'm not getting quality and the quality tends to drop off after that that hour mark for me yeah, and how do you feel now, like, you know, being able to get, like, your shoulders back on the wall in a couch stretch and your chest on the floor in a pancake compared to how you felt when you finished playing footy, like, with that extra mobility and stuff? Yeah, just feel amazing. Like, just it's just the norm now that, yeah, there's no pain. So I think, um, yeah, still I feel good. Like, I'm very, um, I don't know, how do I put it? Yeah, I don't really feel much pain anymore through nah, zero, actually, zero pain for years after yeah, fixing the lower back and just getting flexible and strong through the spine, through the hammies, the glutes, the hip flexors. Like once that's all released, you know what I mean? You feel real great. And, um, yeah, as, as you probably know as well, you know, once you loosen up, it feels good. You yeah. feel it in other in the, in the other exercises. I think you feel it, you know what I mean? You, feel, you do a squat or something, you go, oh, okay, feel a bit. Feel good here. 100%. I'm uh, I'm one month into a Troy Savage mobility program and uh, <laughs> noticed a big difference in a month. We're just about to go for for our second month. But, um, you know, like it's just doing the work every day and I think it's important to understand that doing a hamstring stretch for 20 seconds isn't going to get you the work. Like what sort of holds are you talking? Yeah, so there's a few different ways you can attack different muscles. So... The calf muscle is going to be different to the hammy. The hammy is going to be different to the hip flexor sort of thing. If you start at the hip flexors, usually the main one, I try to get people with the uh, couch stretch and that. You know, that needs at least two minutes, you know what I mean, just to start breaking open just because people do so much sitting and it's sort of reversing the effects of your stretching. Um, sort of the exercise as well, if you're doing running even more. Um, the hammies, yeah, you need sort of, Spend, it needs a bit of time just to break open again. Um, I found 
on that with myself. Tighter the older you are, the more sort of work you need initially, and then you can sort of like dial back the volume. But you sort of need that initial hit, I find, because yeah, if you don't get any results in the first couple of weeks, you'll probably give up. Um, so really try and yeah, smash them in the four weeks and then just stagger off the volume a little bit. I've found that sort of works the best. Um, you can't just keep hitting it hard because it'll sort of just like um, stretching is like you think it's quite easy, but some of the like movements we do, like, yeah, it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm crawling out of these positions after holding them for three minutes. They're brutal. Eh? Yeah, you know, it's a different type of pain. Like, you know, it's not your high intensity pain, but like it's definitely painful. Yeah, so some of the positions when you start are a bit uncomfortable to start with, but yeah, once you see results, you're like, oh, okay, and then you start like, okay, this is going to work for me, so you just keep doing it. But you sort of need a, a few initial, um, you know, quick results, I find, with people. Um, yeah, if they don't, can't see much um, progress early on, um, they tend to give up quite quite quickly. So, yeah, it's, that's why I try and pump them straight into the hip flexors, two minutes inside, so they can just feel a bit more open and, you know, they'll continue with um, the consistency and sort of the discipline that's needed to get um, some of these results. Yeah, and you've dived headfirst into the ATG, like knees over toes training. I've just, I've been on the edge for a little bit on and off, but the last probably two, three weeks... Um, I've gone a little bit harder with it, with the sleds and the step-ups and the Nordics, yeah. um, but a long way to go to get the flat bench Nordics. What's been your main takeaway with the ATG-style training? Um, so, yeah, I was probably similar. It took me a while to click onto it. I was like, okay, um, took me a while to figure out. I went, because Keeg's usually, he's always the first mover. He's early on things. And I went, yep, yeah, I'm going to get on it straight away this time. I was like, yeah, this is good. And then um, I had a mate who had three, four knee recos. And I'm like, bro, this is perfect for you. you. You should do it as well. So I get a better understanding of it. So he got on it as well. And he just said, man, my knee pain's pretty much gone, you know, after a couple of months. And he was a guy, played footy for the Roosters. Um, you had those four knee recos that sort of ruined his career and sort of just living in knee pain daily. And I said, yeah, got him onto it. And he's just like, Bro, this is sort of, you know, it's sort of life-changing because he was dealing with this pain every year. He'd wake up in the morning, just have, just the same as my sort of story with the lower back pain, but it was just his knees. Um, so it sort of held him back from reaching certain, um, you know, definitely in footy and then even now in his own training. And then I still wasn't 100% bought in and then I seen Keegs was doing that um, camp with Sonny Bill and I saw a message him and I went, bro, I need to come up and, have a, have checked this out because there's something I haven't figured out. And then he went, yep. So I went up, flew up to Byron Bay, uh, to Gold Coast um, with the Sunny Bill Camp. And, yeah, I seen sort of how it was working properly. Um, yeah, a bit more hands-on stuff. And I sort of seen the results that Sunny was getting, um, a bit more looser in his knees and sort of some of the reactions he was saying of how he um, could squat without pain for the first time in years or he could really feel his hips are opening up. So I was like, yeah, there's something definitely here. So as soon as I got back to Sydney, I just dived 100% all in, chucked out all my other stuff for the time being, sort of like the viral. I felt like I could get people really strong and like the squat there to bench, but then they could still hold little niggles or injuries. So I sort of went, I'm going to go ATG 400% and see where I get to. And yeah, got to a good place myself and then sort of with clients as well. So 
yeah, from that Sunnyville camp, yeah, I sort of just went all in on it. How was it spending time with Sonny? Yeah, he's just he's just good man. He's um he's a real professional. Um, so sort of little things like um, I was with Mitch Pike up there as well, and we we're doing a little session. And Sonny had to do a little uh, interview while we we're there. But um, after the interview, he came straight over, and I was like, "Oh, how many how many reps did you guys do?" Because he didn't want to be behind. He didn't want to miss out on the training session we just done. So we just done like a five to ten minute chins and dips sort of session. So he was like, oh, "Okay, I'll come do this." So he just has that little like competitive advantage. Um, that's he, he doesn't want to miss out on training. Um, he's always looking for that edge and sort of that professionalism that's probably made him such a good player and you can sort of understand it, understand it being around him. You know, he's got that edge that some people don't have and, yeah, just that edge to always try and get better, you know, as a player, person or whatnot. But, yeah, he's a real good down-to-earth um, guy, had all his family up there, yeah, big family, couple of kids in there. But, yeah, he's a great dude, so it's good. Yeah, and you've also had the opportunity to train Mark Hunt for a – for a training camp what was that like yeah so i trained them sort of in off season for six weeks um yeah that was crazy um as crazy as he seems like all the usc videos and that of him (laughs) seems like Uh, yeah for me i like he was real um down to earth you know what i mean like i was just like hanging out with like uh, one of your mates sort of thing um yeah but he always always have in the back of your mind like man he can knock people out with like one punch like nothing <laughs> but i had him hand standing um man i had him onto the mobility the jefferson kills that we do the you know i start everyone off the same no matter what level they're at um yeah i had him juggling yeah he had an awesome hand-eye coordination you know so like obviously being a fighter like he can put his hands like you know, on the, on the dime on someone's chin real quick. But he picked up juggling real quick, um, done a lot of mobility for him, got him on the keto diet. Yeah, we've done heaps of different things, which was real cool. Um, did he yeah, drop so any weight? Sorry? Did he drop any weight? Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, so we had him at one stage at, I don't know, maybe. So I think for the heavyweights, they have to be under 120. And we, we had him at about 125. Five, maybe even under that, which was good for in the off season. Usually he blows out to 130, 140, if you know what I mean. So he's had um, trouble with those weight cuts sometimes over his sort of career. So we got him real good and he sort of had the benefits. But, um, yeah, he sort of went back into his camp and that after that I was, yeah, I had a good time training him through that period, just showing him some of the real movement. But I was sort of thinking the other day, like, if I had all this ATG sort of knowledge at the time, it would have been gold for him. Um, yeah, but it just wasn't to be. Just didn't have it then. You know, was it like a year or two later that I sort of figured all this ATG stuff on just recently? So, but I reckon that would have been gold for him as well. And are him and Gallon fighting? Is that a goer or? I don't know. I heard Gallon was trying to call out Sunny Bill the other day. So yeah, I hope for Gallon's sake he doesn't fall. <laughs> I don't know. He's like just takes one punch for him, and man, he moves so so well for a um, a big guy. I remember his son was also training with us, and we just played that little game where you have to tap each other's knees, if you know what I mean. And his son couldn't touch him at all. He was he was moving like I don't know, like lightning. He was that quick. Like yeah, you could see like man, this guy can move and fight and just yeah knows his body like the fluidness of his movement was great for such a big guy too yeah and you 
doing some training with Jared Hayne and Brad Takarangi and a few other first graders. What's that like? Yeah, that's good. So I sort of went full circle. So when I sort of, back to that Brisbane camp, when I first started out coaching, I was like, yeah, no way am I going to train footy players. <laughs> I was like, nah, don't want to train footy players. Know what they're like. Their rats are at certain things and you know what I mean? And um, I've sort of come full circle since then. It took me three years to be like, yeah, I just know a footy player's body inside and out. I already know the answers to the questions that I'm asking. I know where they're tired. I know how they're feeling. I was just like, yeah. So I was just like, back to footy players. Um, got involved with a few guys. Um, heaps of people were interested in the ATG stuff. So sort of taking them through it. And um, the start of this year, I went up with the New Zealand Māori All-Stars. It's just like a, like a trainer. They already had a strength and conditioning coach, high performance. I just wanted to see how these footy players, what sort of shape they were in. How'd you get and, involved in that? Um, I had a mate who was my best mate's dad was the manager. So I mentioned to him, hey, man, this might be a good opportunity for me to just, you know, um, jump on board and see what these players are like, if I can help, you know what I mean? I was just happy just to be, be along with it. I just wanted to try and find out what sort of um, physical shape that they were in. Um, is Kalen playing in that? Ponga, yeah, he was, uh, yeah, he was the fullback for the Māori side. Um, yeah, so we had a real, like, heaps of good players up there. So I got to work with a few players. Um, obviously, they sort of knew through Instagram and whatnot that I sort of was doing a bit of knees over toes stuff and through a few other guys that I was training at the time. And, yeah, we just done a few little things with them and, like, we had to, actually had some good results just in the one or two days. Um, yeah, I had... That Alan Watini Zelezniak from where is he at Bulldogs now had some had a knee injury and he sort of I think it wasn't even the physical things that we'd done it was sort of the mental um, sort of battle that I told him that his knee pain could go away um, he, had, he was sort of living with pain as well just done a few little things and I think it was just that little mental click that helped a lot as well just to you know that he had an option to you know get rid of this knee pain and you know become better. So, yeah, I was surprised at sort of what sort of shape I felt. They were just coming through a pre-season and some of the boys were a bit busted up for, you know, the start of the season. Um, and sort of just thinking if the other NRL teams or the training, are they really looking after the sort of the players and that strength and conditioning sense? Is there, not, is there other options that you can sort of add in? Like I'm obviously hardcore into mobility and um, sort of testing them. They're a bit tight and whatnot. Um, so sort of just, yeah, I had something, I felt like I had something to offer them, um, after that camp. So I sort of worked with a few of those players and yeah, just, just the basics I do with everyone start, like everyone's so tight, hip flexors, lower back, hammies, you know what I mean? Just, I, um, wash, rinse, repeat a lot of my training and then it's sort of just progressing people however they sort of work out from there. Most people try and complicate it too much, don't they? Like it's simplicity just repeated. Yeah, 100%. Like, this is just like a diet as well. Like, you know, just less options, the better, I find. Even with, you probably would, if you hear, hear a bit of those trainers over, you know, some of the best strength and conditioning trainers we heard over the weekend with that real movement online intensive, like how basic their programs were, like squat, I don't know, one or two times a week, do a bit of this, like, you know, four exercises a session. Like, so basic, even um, Paddy Lane from the Roosters, like, you do, like, four or five exercises 
you know, there's not, they're not really overcomplicated. There's no like, you know what I mean? It's just doing the basics well over and over and over again. Yeah. And uh, your carnivore, on the carnivore diet, what's that like? That was good. So on the, I think I started Jan 6th. Um, yeah, me and my missus got into it um, through Real Movement, you know what I mean? I was like, heard about it. I was like, meat only. I love my meat, so it was a pretty easy transition. Um, yeah, got into it, noticed results really quick. Even yeah, even my partner, she she even did better than me actually. Um, yeah, I felt it took me a while. Just to, it took me about one or two weeks to get really into it. Whereas like two or three days it took her, and she was high energy levels. Um, yeah, the hunger sort of goes down because for her, she's Maltese background, so a lot of pasta. You know, I mean, a lot of carbs, high carb diet. So I was, I was very surprised at how good she went with it. Um, yeah, she loves it. Um, we've sort of gone off a couple, like the last couple of weeks since Easter, or since actually this isolation stuff sort of sort of happened. It sort of um, put me out of routine as well with it. Um, sort of just got back on the last couple of days, which has been good. A uh, bit too much chocolate over the Easter break, but nah, yeah, like the like the carnival diet. It's really easy to manage. Just do steak, mints, and you know, very basic Monday to Friday, and then um, Saturday, Sunday, do like a few like barbecues or um, roasts or whatever, just to mix it up. And do you add carbs on a weekend, or you just stay strictly meat? Um, sometimes I have a bit of like a Greek yogurt and blueberries and whatnot. Um, just but yeah, pretty much cut out all the carbs with it. Um, I've always found like I do good without carbs. Like all people are different. Sort of um, think everyone's just got to figure out their own diet that that works best for them and their sort of lifestyle and their goals and whatnot. I'm pretty extreme at what I do. If I go do something, I just go all in. You know what I mean? <laughs> Same with the keto. I've done that. Like yeah. So I just like to test the limits of things and then dial it back where where I can. So over Easter, I had smashed heaps of chocolate. Um, any like birthdays or um, gatherings that I have to do, like I'll go to off carnival, you know what I mean? I won't be heaps um, socially awkward just to stick to the diet. I'll just eat what's there, you know what I mean? And then just get back on the next couple of days. Yeah. And what's a typical day of carnival look like for you? So it's about 1 to 1.5 kilo of meat a day. So I usually break that up into mince and steak, um, and then just a, a lot of salt because when you, when you drop the carbs out, obviously the water retention's gone, so you, you lose a lot of water and like your electrolytes. So you got to yeah, I um, have a few. Um, sometimes I have if I feel a bit low in energy or feel a bit crap. It's usually because my salts intake on my electrolytes are real low so I just add a lot of Himalayan salt into onto the top of my foods and if I really need it just shot it in a glass of water so pretty much my sort of carnival diet would look like um, I usually fast the morning um, I have a long black in the morning and at lunchtime have a mince or steak and then dinner mince or steak and then maybe have like yogurt and blueberries at night and then yeah wash rinse repeat that Monday to Friday and then in the weekends do lamb roasts and tomahawk steaks and better cuts of meat and whatnot yeah so a lot so each meal you'd be having like half a kilo of meat kind of thing yeah pretty much yeah so it's quite a lot of food if you know what I mean if you like half a kilo of mince is like a real big serving size so it fills you up a lot and um yeah, you just got to play around with it. I found I found it 
went, yeah, I got down real, like, real lean. I got down to about 7 8% body fat, like, and I was maintaining it. That was the other thing. I've got it down to those, like, low body fat levels, but I haven't been able to maintain it. But I felt like I was just living, like, yeah, really normal, didn't have to count calories or anything like that and just sort of managed it, um, yeah, just weighed in every now and again, done a scope scan or whatever, you know, every couple of days. But I felt like I maintained it until I had this uh, freaking isolation period went off. Yeah, <laughs> I've gone up since then. <laughs> I think everyone's kind of done that at some stage. Like I've just, yeah. I was going bad. And then after Easter, I started a fresh challenge. Um, yeah. So. What about presenting on the weekend? How was that? Like that'd be something new to you, speaking in front of high-level coaches and stuff. Like that must make you feel like you've come a long way and feel pretty good about yourself. Yeah, 100%. Like um, it was a good opportunity. Some of them, um, when you look at some of the speakers, they've been around for years and they're very um, very classy, very high-level um, coaches and they've done a lot and to come and sort of add my sort of two cents worth into the talk, you know, it was uh, yeah, real good experience. Um, sort of when I started back in the 2017 off real movement, yeah, wouldn't hear anything. I'm naturally introverted. Um, but, yeah, when I can speak about training or footy or whatnot, I seem to, you know, it's a bit, bit easier to talk talk about things like that. So, yeah, I've done my sort of speech on being a real movement coach and whatnot and sort of what it takes to get to the high levels, the black belt levels as we call it now, or level three or what it's called, so what it was called. Um, yeah, but it was good. Like, yeah, I was pumped after. I had a few mates text me like, oh, yeah, loved your speech, whatnot. Now I know what like, you know what it really takes to actually get to a, you know, higher level in this sort of community. I felt I just needed to get that message across of, yeah, just going back to that consistency and discipline of what it takes to, you know, take it to a next level. Yeah. And what's, um, what's some little tips and tricks that a few listeners could uh... – maybe get out of this to to get a bit more disciplined to their you know their goals um big thing for me is routine so um i found even in the sort of this isolation as soon as my routine went out of whack um um yeah my training went downhill my diet went downhill so just setting a new routine if it is in this isolation for our forever how it um lasts um just writing things down um so i like to write out and have a plan for the week for my training, which is real good, and just trying to keep ticking those boxes. Have your goals or review my goals every day in the morning. Just uh, have that, have it front of mind. I know what um, training goals I need to hit. And, yeah, sort of just I love a bit of affirmations, gratefuls and that, just writing it out in a notebook every day in the morning. Um, have my long black coffee, and while I'm having that, I'm just writing out a few things in the morning. Yeah, and what are your current goals at the moment? Um, at the moment, sort of want to get back down to seven percent body fat. So we've got like a um, accountability group through the real movement. You know, a few of us want to chase that. So it's real good after the Easter period. I've been off my diet and whatnot. Um, when I had a one one arm handstand, I've had that on the list for a while, and. What else? I've got a few. There's just hitting those, all those ATG standards. Um, Stall to press. It's another handstand sort of one. And then, yeah, those are the ones that are front of mind at the moment. Yeah, those are the main ones I want to hit. Yeah. What um, What's a typical routine look like for you? 
routine. So morning routine, wake up, um, come downstairs, kettle, long black, get my diary out and I start writing. So I write, um, I'm so happy and grateful and then I'll just write down whatever's coming to mind, um, usually by my family, um, my partner, Jen, my son, Xavier, um, whatever else, I'll write coffee, whatever, the sunshine, the weather, um, having you know, a roof over my head, the coaching that I do, uh, community and whatnot, so some of the things like that. And then I'll write, write out my goals and like a first person. So I'm pumped up and excited to one-arm handstand, planche, front lever, whatever um, goals I have at the moment. And then I sort of do a little to-do list while having my coffee, then go have a shower, um, finish 30 seconds and cold, you know, just to get me up and then I usually lately I usually either head off to the work to gym but lately just um starting my first session after that yeah so sort of that's sort of my morning routine um I'll do weights I've been doing weights with a mate down the park and then yeah get into some of the online work that I need to do yeah and do you have a like special sort of diary you use you just use a book and no, nah, just a general notebook. Um, yeah, just a blank page notebook, and I just sort of fill it out. Just turn a page each day, and just you know, start with my gratefuls, affirmations, goals, and then. Yeah, it's something that like you'd really notice the difference on the days that you do them affirmations and stuff than you don't. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, yeah, I've got diaries. Yeah, but when you go off it, you notice it more. Oh, yeah, like you sort of. I always think to myself, oh, what am I? Yeah, I haven't. I know when I'm not doing my you know, or that sort of morning routine because I'm out of whack, unproductive, you know, it just sets me on my path real well. Yeah. Let's wrap it up. It's been a cracker. Anything else you want to touch on before we do? Um, no, nah, that's about it, bro. Let's just run through these five questions quickly that I ask all my guests before we finish. Yeah. Tell me something about you that no one would know. I read these questions. And I was like, man, I can't even answer these. Something that, I, yeah, I was trying to find something. Um, oh, I don't do cardio. That's one thing I don't. No cardio. No cardio, yeah. So I sort of just try and get lean by a real good diet and lifting heavy weights, yeah. But like dragging a sled and stuff, you do enough of it. That's, yeah. uh, that gets the heart rate going, huh? Yeah, you don't get to sit on a rower and whatnot. Nah, yeah. I sort of felt like I'd done, like I, like through the footy years, we just done that much running and smash like getting smashed like i was just like ah that's enough but i know if i really need to get fit it'll take me six weeks yeah yeah that's something i stress to my clients a lot is like you don't have to train to get super like to lose weight like Mm. there's so many more steps before that like you know just simply like moving enough to get your ten thousand steps eating a diet to a tea for seven days um getting good sleep but then yeah strength training is so underrated like everyone thinks weight loss and they think let's go out and go for a walk or go for a push bike ride but throw some weight around eh? it hasn't got to be heavy or whatever but yeah yeah lifting man i'm yeah big advocate of just yeah lifting weight real real well and um yeah getting your reps in that way yeah building that body you know what i mean i like i like some bit of shape on like people's bodies you know not just you know Stick figure or that skinny fat look. 100%. Best piece of advice you've ever been given? Uh, probably from that real movement camp, just think bigger. I think that was sort of one of the big um, themes through that camp. I don't know who said it. Probably everyone said it. Um, maybe Keegs or um, Ben Murphy or someone. Like just, yeah, getting us 
getting us to think bigger, bigger goals than what we had at that moment, which was awesome. I think I wrote down, we had to write down our goals and stuff. I think I wrote down, have 30 clients. <laughs> and he was like, what's that? That's not, that's not big enough. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think I wrote down, be a coach. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, then like I was writing down goals and it's like, you don't like to set a true goal, you shouldn't really know how you're going to achieve it kind of thing. Like, yeah. you know, the path and whatever, but if you, if you know you can do it, then it's probably not big enough kind of thing, is it? Yeah, yeah, 100%, bro. Is there anything that's happened to you that you thought would be the worst thing in your life but's turned out to be a blessing? I love asking this because I got the sack from a job and it's turned out to be a blessing. I'd probably still work in there otherwise. Yeah, uh, same with me with the um, not playing NRL sort of thing. It was sort of my thing. Um, yeah, it sort of set me on a path that I'm really passionate about and sort of give me the, the fuel, you know, um, the fire to, you know, um, probably do something real good for other athletes. Yeah. Yeah, and just thinking like when you were finishing at France and you hadn't made your like NRL debut, like obviously would have been disappointed. You wouldn't think that now, however many years later, however many years later you're saying that, you know, it's going to be a blessing. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you never know what how things are going to turn out if you know what I mean. Yeah. What did you do, drop some water? Yeah, spilt water everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, question four, where do you want to be in five years? Five years, yeah. So I just want to be the go-to guy for athletes in Australia and maybe the world by then. Um, yeah, I just want um, to be able to help our athletes um, physically, mentally, you know, to be the best that they can be. Yeah, love it. Favourite quote? Oh, I didn't, I didn't read this last one. Um, iron sharpens iron. Yeah. Love it. The one you said earlier about um, what was the leader quote? Um, The leader is the limiter. Yeah, I love that as well. Like that's something I always think about as well. Yeah, same. It's a real good one for coaching and that and, you know, business and whatnot as well. Like, you know what I mean? You're sort of holding back everyone, you know. They can only be as as great as whatever that leader's, you know, standards are. 100%. And where can the listeners find you? Uh, Instagram's the best place, Coach Troy Savage. Yeah, check out whatever I got. Send me a message if you need a hand with anything. I'm always happy to help and sort of yeah, I like I like getting DMs and you know getting um messaging people and just seeing sort of what sort of problems or issues they have. It helps me as well, like with coaching. Yeah, hundred percent. I should be proud of how far you've come, mate. It's uh been really good to watch your journey. I'm always you know social media. I mean Instagram stories is kind of a blessing, isn't it? Like yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for jumping on. Appreciate awesome, it. Bro. Good chat. Good chat. Till next time. Later. I'm sick of us not doing this right. That's why I think I'm cutting you from my life. No more. I'm sick of us not doing this right. That's why I think I'm cutting you from my life. No more. Wasted energy spending the pace for every hour of waste. I need an escape to center me. And I don't mean to make a rush for the door, but time's a currency. I'm currently poor. I'll be leaving it soon. I don't mean to be rude, but this scene ain't for me. Thanks for listening, guys. If you liked it, I'd really appreciate it if you took a screenshot of this and put it on your Instagram story and tagged Logan Thorpe and Logan Thorpe Fitness. If you haven't done so already, jump on and leave a review um, and subscribe. Till next time.